Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? It's going amazing. Uh, finishing out the day strong. Uh, been a very productive day. Got a lot of things done. And uh, yeah, excited for the rest of the week. What about you, Rafael? How's it going? Good, man. Good. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful weather outside. So I was able to get out a little bit uh, today, which is nice. You know, I wasn't in front of the computer most of the day, which is always nice. And now that the weather's starting to pick up a little bit, um, I'm excited to start doing more things outdoors. Uh, there's going to be more events outdoors, festivals, et cetera. And, you know, now that COVID's kind of tamed off a bit, and I know a lot of people are pretty optimistic about, you know, getting out, uh, it's going to be really cool to see what, what happens in 2022 as far as outdoor events are concerned. But, you know, speaking of just a phenomenal conversation, I mean, we had a really good conversation today with Deborah Smith, who's a principal of Center Cap Group. Uh, you know, they're located in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, we really had a great conversation that they, they do, they provide a variety of different services to their clients. And some of the things we touched on throughout our podcast episode was what got her interested in the commercial real estate industry as a whole. Obviously she comes from a banking background and then found herself diving in a little bit more as far as the transaction piece uh, within the commercial real estate industry around 2005. And she's been really in that industry ever since. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the early struggles in her career uh, as far as, you know, when she branched off on our own in 2009. Uh, we talked about the adaptability of being able to be adaptable in any environment in order to be successful. And those who aren't adaptable ultimately do not succeed. And sometimes the, 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 the thought process of when you're actually taking that leap of faith almost comes down to being somewhat naive about what the obstacles that are in front of you. But that's what enables you to kind of take, have the gall to be able to go out on your own and really start something fresh. Uh, we also talked a little bit about some of the services they offer their clients, and they offer a variety of different services, including, you know, uh, consulting services, you know, uh, pairing, uh, you know, uh, dealing with with funds and, and a variety of different uh, people within the banking and and uh, commercial real estate industries as well. And then finally, we touched on a variety of different things, including some of the growing trends in the commercial real estate space, and also, you know, some of the things that she could share with herself if she was able to go back in time and share some insights with her younger self regarding you know, what, what, what she, what would she do differently or not necessarily what she would do differently, but at least, you know, what, what framework would she use to be able to move forward in her life so that she can have a little bit less stress when it comes to operating within the commercial real estate space. So again, we, we, I found the, the, the conversation extremely enlightening. What, what about you, Jeff? Deborah was very knowledgeable and, uh, insightful, like you said, knowledgeable for sure. And, um, I just told, I definitely enjoyed the uh, conversation we had. And I think all of you listeners will as well. So definitely. No, I, I agree with you. And at the end of the book, we actually, uh, or I'm sorry, at the end of the podcast episode, we share a variety of different books. Uh, you know, uh, Deborah's a huge reader uh, and also an audible, audible listener in particular. And so we went through a variety of different books that, that you guys may find value from as well. So stick to the end to know. Uh, about those uh, uh, those books that she recommends. Along with that, we greatly appreciate 
all you guys for your support over the last several months. We've seen a significant uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys engaging with the podcast on a regular basis. So if you guys haven't already, we would greatly appreciate if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review and write us a comment. Tell us what you like about the podcast or maybe give us some insights into what you'd like to hear uh, next time within the podcast as well. Because we're always looking for great speakers to bring on the podcast to share some insights. And so, you know, if you guys want, don't mind doing that, it would greatly, we would greatly appreciate it. And I know it'll eventually be able to give you guys value as well because we'll loop in uh, podcast guests that, that will provide those insights as well. So again, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into the podcast. Well, hey, Deborah, great to see you this fine afternoon. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Much appreciated. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thank Definitely. You. No, Deborah's tuning in from Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, it's a little cold up there, but it's starting to get warmer. You know, we were talking a little bit off the, 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 the recording about how she recently moved to Florida about a year or two ago, and she misses the weather down there. But I'm sure at some point you'll be getting down there again to take advantage of the nice weather. Exactly. Exactly. I might add it was 80 degrees yesterday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. We're we're located in Louisville, Kentucky, and a lot of people love going to Florida. It's kind of one of the big destinations, especially Destin. It seems like that's a big destination for a lot of people in Louisville. So yes, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, We'll have to, I'll have to take advantage of that at some point uh, in the near future. But uh, first off, we're just super honored to have you because you have a unique experience and a great background and we wanted to kind of dive right in. So Usually what we do is we like to learn a little bit more about the person that's across the table from us when we start the interview process. So I just want to know a little bit about you. If you could tell us, that'd be great. Uh, sure. So I'm Deb Smith. I go by Deb, Deb Smith. I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, the Center Cap Group, which is a women-owned boutique investment bank that we only focus in the real estate sector. We started it in 2009. And the uh, wisely or unwisely in the great financial crisis, uh, probably unwisely, but I, I'm still here. So I'll take that as a good sign that we've, we've prospered and we're, we're going strong and looking forward to continuing to grow the business. It's a good time to be in real estate. Oh, for sure. And you, and you yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, when you first started in 2009, maybe that was not quote unquote, the best time to start it, but maybe it was because now you had, you know, a 12 year period or almost 13 year period of a pretty good prosperity when it comes to real estate. I mean, since maybe 2013 and 14, I mean, we've had a significant uptick in, in, in real estate transactions year over year. So. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we were, uh, we were my business partner who I founded the business with, we were uh, co-heads and ran CBRE's global M&A business that oversaw all their investment programs. And, you know, coming into the recession, I remember we had announced a deal. I went home to Australia to see my family and I came back and Bear Stones didn't exist anymore. And, and so oh, it, was, it, was a crazy, it was a crazy time back then. And, you know, we'd spend our mornings trying to figure out how to move things around in the business in the afternoons, trying to figure out how to put out capital since we had raised such a large value-add fund that year. And so it was a really interesting time, um, a little stressful. But, you know, starting out on our own, it was it, look, we, we had started out with the right idea, and I just think we, in retrospect, were probably a little ahead of ourselves and thinking it was a great idea to start. Because, you know, starting out, we had focused on capital raising and the M&A markets were somewhat dead. The public markets were in trouble. And, and so we had focused on capital raising and really with the goal that, you know, people needed capital solutions to what they were doing. And we really understood the real estate market coming from CB 
And we had been covered by so many banks when we were at CB. And we didn't feel like they really understood the principal side of the business at all. And so we felt there was a real opening for someone who looked at real estate and from that side of the business and thought there would be a value add to folks that we can come into their business and underwrite and look at their properties and their projects they were looking at and really get down, drill down and tell them what would work and what wouldn't work, more importantly, I guess. But it's, you know, we were putting one foot in front of the other. I, I, I just think if we had looked at it holistically and realized that the world was blowing up, um, I, I'm not sure we would have been brazen enough if we'd step, step back for five minutes, we'd be brazen enough to have started it. But I'm glad we did because it's been a huge ride. And, and you're right, is that I often say out of confusion comes enlightenment or out of chaos comes opportunity. And there's no better space than the real estate space that understand that. And so out of that chaos of the great financial crisis, this industry has prospered and there's always winners and losers, but the real estate investors really know how to create opportunity and, and find them um, and exploit them. And it's a real credit to the industry because it's gone through so many evolutions, even over the past 10 years that it is always evolving and there's always a new opportunity and it's just too smart enough to figure out how to take advantage of it. So oh, it's quite nice today. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And in your unique experience coming from CB and then offering those, you know, institutional ideas that you've already, you've already experienced how it operates with from an institutional level and now offering those services a little bit more, uh, I guess, one-on-one -on -one with your clients. I mean, I'm sure that's added a significant amount of value to the people that you serve ultimately on a day-to-day -day basis. So. Yeah, particularly, so particularly on the owner-operator side. So half of our business deals with fund managers. And we kind of look at the world in terms of uh, users and providers of capital, people who have money and people who need it. And so, and our goal is to straddle both. I think we're the only women-owned business that does what we do, um, that, that exists. I'll actually go a step further. I'm not sure we have any real true competitors that have come into it and say, look, we work with fund managers on helping them on strategic growth and helping them figure out how to take their business to the next level. But we also help them put capital out. And then on the other side of the equation, we work with owners and operators who need capital and are looking for opportunities to figure out how to capitalize their deals. And because we work with both sides, you end up with a really unique perspective of what is going on in the industry. So it gives you a perspective of, you know what capital is looking to put capital into, and you know what the deals are that are out there because you're trafficking in that operator space. And so that matchmaking and being able to sit in between them is amazing because then we can look at deals and say, well, yeah, we can raise capital for that. Or no, we can't. And if we believe we can, our hit ratio is pretty good on delivering. Um, and it's not a perfect world because it has ups and downs, but it means that we can take on assignments with a degree um, that we feel good about it, um, that we feel we can execute. Um, and that, you know, regardless, and sometimes it puts us in some weird spots because we end up taking on a few assignments that probably no one else would take on. Um, but, but that's because we, we, I think we have some insight into where we think um, the industry is moving and where we think the opportunities are coming. And because some of these, processes on the capital raising side take time uh, to effect, then, then it gives us time to kind of move into it because you really want to be delivering, same as development, delivering when the capital's there. If you're trying to get your in order, house in order um, and the, it's already there, then you've missed your boat because the capital's already moved. 
And, and so it's getting that timing right. I think a lot of times is, is part of the fun and, and the challenge of working in the industry. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Speaking of challenges, what actually directed you and got you interested in the commercial real estate sector itself? Well, so uh, my business partner, and I have two, who are two extraordinary women, absolutely amazing women, who we have a very long history between the three of us um, uh, on a multiple of levels. But uh, my business partner, who I founded the firm with, she was from a real estate background. She had been in coverage banking her entire career, um, whereas I did not. I was actually raised as a utility banker at Morgan Stanley on the transaction side. And so, and I had actually just fallen into it. I had moved over uh, across banks. I bank hopped a little bit and with never having real estate on my radar at all, it was not, not even out there. I'd not even contemplated. And then 2000, the last uh, big hype boom around 2005, 2006 hit and every deal was a real estate deal. <laughs> and so I learned really fast. Uh, how real estate worked, how it worked. And I uh, didn't know what a cap rate was, but I learned really fast. And, and the rest is history. So, because you, you follow, the industry is so relationship-based that you have to follow the relationships. And, and I think, you know, now we've been in so long, people we were analysts with and, and people we were interviewing and now running firms. <laughs> and, and, and that's really awesome. But it just means that you, you see somebody say, I've been that person for 15 years. And, and we get a lot of that now. Um, and so it means that a lot of our business in, in part is driven by people we know in part because we deliver. And, and so, you know, I want to say probably 90% of our business is referral, um, either because of people we know or people we've worked with. And so, and so it goes round and round. But it's, to me, real estate is unique. And there is a reason why at most of the, the bank firms that real estate is treated as a different group to a lot of the other, to industrials or transportation or some of these other groups, it has its own home because the, the, the valuations and how you look at the business um, is very different. It's very different. You're not working off, you know, EBITDA multiples, you know, you're, you're focusing on NAVs and, and the concept of NAV doesn't exist in other industries like it does in this one. And so it's unique. And then the role of, of capital and the role of debt is, is very, um, it's, it's very important to the sector. And, and so you don't have that either in other sectors. And so it, it's very unique, the pieces. And so I, I think from a transaction side, it was definitely a learning curve. And, and now I'm in it, it's, I've been in it for 15 years now and uh, June much longer. But after this amount of time, you know, I think I know a lot about real estate because I think where we are right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And you, yeah. And you kind of, you kind of mentioned something that I think is very important to, to, to kind of glean as far as insights are concerned is the relationship piece of the business. And, you know, obviously you coming from a banking uh, background as well. I mean, that's a similar type of industry where it's a very, very relationship based. You're yeah. building relationships with people in different industries and they become your recurring clients that you deal with your entire career. Essentially, yeah. because You become their trusted advisor and similar in the, the real estate space. And, you know, obviously you're, you're on the investment banking side. I'm, I've been on the brokerage side for several yeah. years now, come from an IT background as well, but you know, it is a very much a relationship business. And so having been executing as long as you have and, and performing at a high level and also growing up, but really growing up in the industry with a lot of these people that are now running yeah. these firms that you eventually are dealing with. I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, something to be, to be said about the industry itself. 
Yeah, it's it's um it's certainly been a ride. I think when I finished school, I was going to be a tax attorney. So I, I never in a million years thought this is where I would be. Uh, you know, which goes to show the evolution of don't get too hung up on anything that you think you want to do because sometimes when you do that, you miss all the really great stuff that just happens. Um, I always call it life happens, and so it's definitely been an evolution. But I remember when I was sitting at Morgan Stanley as a first year associate. And they were the real estate folks that often went up to the real estate group to work directly. And it never would have crossed my mind all those many, many years ago that um, I would be sitting where, I, where I'm sitting. And so it's, it's, it's been quite, it's definitely been quite a ride. And it's definitely been a lot of fun to get here. So, but I think the best is yet to come. I think the industry is going through some massive evolution right now in every sector. There's massive change going on. And, uh, it's, it's just we'll see how long it takes to rattle through the system. But I think there's more than I've, I've seen it since I've, I've been in the industry since back in, you know, the mid 2000s, that it's uh, that there's definitely a lot of change going on. So it's exciting to watch. We'll see who takes advantage of it. And those who don't will probably be left behind, I suspect. Absolutely. It's a combative environment out there. You got to you yeah. gotta adapt or eventually you die, right? So that, that makes sense. So what that's are, exactly my key point, by the way, is adaptability. Is, People always yeah. ask me, how do you, you know, what's the key to, to surviving as an entrepreneur? It's like, as you just said, it's adaptability. It's oh, another yeah. thing I say. Well, it- and it's just it's just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because and I and I use and I use that analogy a lot when I when I talk to people it's like you evolve into a new person every time you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation you kind of morph right. into a new person and so you know if if you're willing to put yourself in these uncomfortable situations over a relatively short period of time it doesn't take a significant amount of time if you really do adapt to that type of environment you look back several years later and you're like wow I, I can't believe where I've I, I've ended up just in the in the last several years. I mean, we've done it with with this podcast. Jeff and I started, you know, the last year or so, and we've seen a pretty significant uptick in our in our downloads and reach and everything else. Yeah. And that's just a little bit of effort consistently over time adds up to massive results. You know, so yes, it does. Yeah, yes, it does. And you, I remember when we started the firm, and we didn't have our own broker dealer when we started. But I'm constantly on your on this whole adaptability thing. I remember when we did got the brainy idea, one of our many brainy, not so brainy ideas, of um, starting our own broker dealer. And uh, and and I remember once we got our membership, and before we got our membership, that I had a team working on it, helping me put it together. And they brought me in my compliance manual, which I swear was at least an inch thick. And I said, what am I supposed to do with that? They said, that's your compliance manual. You're the CCO. I said, excuse me, what am I supposed to do with that? And they said, you've got to put it in place. And so I was like, oh my goodness. And it really bit down, you know, just how much I had taken on with the responsibility of doing it. And, and so we, you know, we take a lot of pride in our systems and processes. And, you know, I think compliance makes us a better firm. Um, it certainly makes us one that is very institutional. And, and we take that stuff very, very seriously. But, I, I, you know, I look back because up until that point, my experience with compliance was sending my brokerage statements into the compliance department. I was like, how hard could this be? Well, I was wrong. Um, and it, it was a huge undertaking. And I'm glad we did it. But it was a huge undertaking. And it, it gave me a, a much broader mindset adjustment similar to what you're saying, I looked at the world differently and I do look at the world differently. Um, and I look at everything in terms through that lens of not only being a good business person, but also making sure I'm a good compliance buddy. 
Um, and so we make sure in our business that the two tie together and they move in tandem. And, and I think that's also unusual for a firm where you have that level of integration that we have to, to make you know, our compliance team's job easier and to make sure that everyone in our firm toes the line. And I think we're a better firm for it. That's awesome. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. So, so one of the things we wanted to ask you, we, we like talking a little bit about the beginning when it went with a lot of our, our, our guests. And so can you kind of take us back to 2009? You, mm-hmm. you, you've been with your, your, your business partner, you, you, you've thrown around this crazy idea of going out on your own and, and starting something brand new. Can you kind of talk us a little bit about some of these early struggles that you faced within the, the early couple of years? Yeah, so when we started, and, and we actually fell in it, I think it was more a case that we uh, had gotten a call um, from an attorney at one of the big law firms who said, you know, um, we think we have a client who is a fund manager, could really use your help. And um, I had worked with them at CB, and they said they really need your help. They're doing a corporate deal, and they, I think they could benefit. So like, okay, all right, so we can do that. Sure, we'll, we'll take a look at it. So we traveled and we gave some advice and then it comes to paying you. I was like, well, hang on a second. I'm an attorney by background. I said, you can't just pay me. I need a company. You got, I need a, 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 I need a company and I need a checking account. Now I need a company name. And so then the next thing, and at the same time, we're like, well, maybe should we start this business? And, you know, this was one and it was, this was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. We were doing things our own way. And how hard could this be? How hard could this be? And so one thing kind of, and I see you laughing, Jeff, and that's exactly right. I laugh now. Um, but, you know, one thing with the how hard can this be is so we finished up that assignment. We end up getting office space from a very good um, now client of ours. And, and we got some shared space and a desk. And, and then we're like, you know what? We can make a go of this. Our industry really needs it. We can benefit from it. We can control our own destiny. This will be great. Um, the challenge then comes, well, okay, well, we were used to working with a team. So now we have to figure out um, how we're going to do all this stuff. And I remember many, many nights where we were doing our own modeling at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. I was like, I haven't done this as an analyst. And we're running our own numbers, writing our presentations, you know, figuring out the color scheme. We didn't even have a color scheme back then, right, because we had just started up. And it's like, so we got now we figured out, do you like this blue? Do you like this gray? So we figured out a color scheme. We figured out some fonts. We created some presentation. We're presenting it during the day. Um, and then we're going back at night. We're doing it all over again. So we were working so many hours every week with the grind. And so the, the concept that you have to take out the trash as an entrepreneur is absolutely true. <laughs> and so, but then you got, you start, so you, you decide you're going to hire someone well, okay, well, I don't know the first thing about insurance and I don't know the first thing about, you know, how you pay people and how then I need a website. So now I need a website and, and you start needing stuff and, and you don't know the stuff you need until you're right there. And, and so it's a little unorganized. And so, well, how do you get all this stuff off the ground? And it's one step at a time. And, and I think coming back to that whole adaptable thing, I was like, well, wait a minute, what are we going to do this? And so it was figuring it out as we go along and, and I tend to be a super, super organized person. And so it was the processing and keeping everything in order. And, and as the firm has grown, all those things just become more complicated. I look back, you know, our business back then, we thought we knew a lot of people. Turns out we, now we know a lot of people. We thought, you know, we knew a lot. Turns out now we really know a lot. 
And, and we've evolved over time that our business today is we've grown, we've added on services, we've added on a much broader team and a much bigger office space. And, and we've evolved, so it's much more complicated. But those early challenges, I understand why a lot of businesses don't succeed. I, I really do. And, and it can be because the, there's just too much stuff and, and it's hard to figure it out, or you don't adjust your business to what the market needs. And, and our business has definitely evolved over time from that very first assignment. Everything about us has, has evolved, has changed in some shape or form over time. And, you know, for you all, you know, where you've seen an office lease and had to you negotiate it with clients. I mean, I hadn't done an office lease myself and, and I'm an attorney by background. So obviously I'm focused on every single little litigation, indemnification, obligation, my leases. And that goes for everything, whether it was hiring even a payroll company to do it, is to overanalyze everything. And to get your head around those things, I think it's it's really challenging. If it's not your wheelhouse, you know, I don't know if I was born an entrepreneur. I've just, I've become an entrepreneur. Um, I, I'm a banker who's become an, an entrepreneur. And quite frankly, I just figured it out. That's what I did. We just figured it out and moved on to the next thing. And so if people can do that, then you survive. And if you can't, then you don't. Yeah, that's what I loved earlier, what you said. Uh, this can't be that hard because we had a lot of fun. And that is a true entrepreneurial statement. Oh, my gosh. That's, I'm yeah, all that, around about minds, right? Yeah. You two are doing a podcast. I mean, we're all out. We're all crazy. Right? Yeah, so that's what made me laugh because uh, uh, Raphael and I are the same way. And every entrepreneur out there is that they have that. It's like, well, this can't be that hard. Let's just do it. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Well, and then but, they just but, dive right I, in. And I feel and I feel like that. I would, for lack of a better word, naivety is what allows yeah. you to be able to just take a risk. Because in reality, Absolutely. if you really understood, if you really understood the, 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 the implications of what you were trying to get into, you would talk yourself out of it. But you Absolutely. know, for me, it's like, what do you got to lose? It's like, I, I you know, I got YouTube. I'll figure it out. You know, that's, that's right. That's, that's how could this be? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, exactly. And literally that YouTube. YouTube University is what I relied on, you know, my the last three years I've been in the commercial real estate business is literally just, oh, I don't know how to do that. Okay, let me go to YouTube. And I just watch videos or like, you know, figure it out online somehow get down the rabbit hole. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you can figure things out if you really yeah. set your mind to it. And that is it. When you when you don't have coming from a very big, all bold bracket facts. Mm -hmm. And when you come from that, and you don't realize how many resources you have at your disposal. You just don't think about it. But once you're on your own and there's no one, who's going to do it? It's, it's just me. It's a little on me. And, you know, doing Excel spreadsheets and things that I hadn't done myself in years. And, and we had just started up. I mean, we're in our 30s. We took no outside money. We're, you know... Some, some ladies that with some laptops um, that we had the brainy idea that we started in our apartments, you know, and said, we'll just figure this stuff out because how hard could how hard could this possibly be? And that's what I mean when I say I was brazen because I look back and if I knew, uh, there are many times as we've evolved where I've looked back and says, oh my gosh, if I had have known how hard this was going to be, and it, it can be really, really hard. And, and I think, you know, probably a big reason we've survived and prospered um, beyond this adaptability is I have great business partners and I have an amazing family. I have, you know, amazing friends, but all else I have amazing business partners. And, and for anyone who asks me advice about starting up your own firm, I've always said you should start up with someone who is nothing like you. I could never do it on my own. I forget. I would never have done it. 
But if you're going to have it, you should have a business partner and start with someone who's nothing like you that adds something different to the table and tells you when you're off track and you don't bite their head off. You're like, oh, really? And, and where you can have that camaraderie. But when times are tough, it's great to have some that person. And when times are great, it's, there's a lot to celebrate. But I think part of what we've worked is we've always, because we're really, we've always been really busy. And even when we're working all of those hours, you know, we're always assuming that the other person had more than we did. And so we needed to do more. And, and I think that has served us to this day where we still, you know, we're always trying to help our, our team out on the basis that we think they're busier than us. And I don't know if they are or not, because I feel like I'm pretty busy, but it's, it's, it's that camaraderie um, that I think is the reason we've stayed doing this is, is because we, I love this job and I've been doing it since I finished college. And I don't know many people that are still doing the same job, but my two business partners and I are doing the same job. We've been all doing it since college, which is a really long time. And, and I still love it. And I think every day is better than the last because every day I know I'm a little bit more than I knew yesterday. And so it comes with just with experience. And now, you know, we work on deals we like. Um, we only work with people we like because life is too short. And, and we have a lot of fun. So, you know, we have a lot of jokes. There's a lot of camaraderie. And I think, you know, and I still have some long days more than I, than I like, but it's okay. Because uh, I know they're there and everybody is hauling it. And so we're just trying to get to the next place and do the right thing by our clients. And along the way, we really do have a lot of fun, even when times are tough. Even when times are tough. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. This, this yeah. banking business is a lot of fun. <laughs> and speaking of your clients, uh, I was kind of wondering if you can go into uh, some overall detail of the services that you offer your actual clients uh, and for the our audience sure so it's a it's a mix um so we we i tend to line up in three three buckets so we have a traditional investment banking corporate m a strand um which is our background and so we had come on the REIT side from the public market side we moved into the private when we moved into the private markets because we didn't have a balance sheet the REIT market was kind of dead and we drifted into the fund management space because of our role at CB. And so we've kept with that. So we have an active M&A business in the fund management space, buying and selling investment managers, um, also buying and selling operators, service companies, as well as with, with different forms of REITs. So that's on the corporate side. We have a capital raising business that is focused on capitalizing usually larger projects or programmatic joint ventures. I think we've had a multifamily JV or capital raise pretty much every year we've been in existence, which shouldn't surprise you all because that's the space that everybody likes. Um, but around that, you know, we've done a, some cool deals that we liked. Um, we did something in retail, which is very contrarian, but we got it done. We got something done in the shared office space, which another tough deal. We got something done in the logistics space, which is in favor. So that was kind of cool. Um, so that's our capital raising. And then we have, um, we started, we built out a few years ago, a consulting practice, which is really um, designed at strategic planning, um, business planning, figuring out how to grow your business. It does um, investor surveys. It, it helps um, operators become institutional. And so we can go in and, and I, can, I can probably spend about an hour with a company and figure out 
what's good about it and what's not bad about it because I've seen so many companies. And then it'll take me time after that to confirm it, right? So I have a gut feeling on these things and then it takes me time to figure out if I'm right or wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm usually right. It's, it's, and then just doing the deep dive and uncovering information about them. So, and so we have that business, it's a diagnostics where we can come in and, and look at your company and tell you what's great. And when I say what's great, it's from an institutional perspective. So if you were going to go raise capital, you want to do a deal with and grow your business, become institutional, I can look at it and advise you as to what you would need to do and what's already good and set you apart. And then it does marketing presentations. So we, we can go in and figure out what's great about you and create new marketing materials. Um, and uh, which it's a lot of fun, but the primary challenge with it is by the time we're done, all of our clients think they really are truly amazing. <laughs> So it's, which is great, which is great. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And it's, it's much more of a consulting side. And, and I run that business myself because I love it. I, I just love meeting with companies, breaking them down and, and, and building them up and helping them to be the best they can be and to position them the best they can be positioned and make them look special. So that when they go out to the market, you know, I, I take pride in thinking that no one has seen exactly their story before. And it's coming out with that special story that is part of the challenge, but is also the fun. That's a fun bit. That's awesome. No, and, and I, I like I like the idea of you sharing uh, regarding you know having that third party perspective because sometimes, especially when you're operating a business on a day to day, sometimes it's hard to remove yourself and be a little bit objective of how what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong within your business. And having someone like you who has dealt in the space for many years and you've dealt with a lot of different types of businesses in a similar space, you can provide that third party analysis and then, you know, make them in a, in to put them in a better position to be able to, you know, like you said, present themselves to the market in the best way possible. So. Yeah. Even on the fund management side, I mean, we have uh, recurring clients too, where if they want to put capital with fund managers and they'll say, Hey, you know, we want to put, can you go take a look at company A and tell us if this is someone we put, should put $200 million with? Can, can you go spend some time with them and come back and tell me what you think? And I love that stuff because it's it's challenging. I wouldn't have loved it if I was a first-year associate um, because I'd be like, what? Um, but, but now when we have seen so many companies um, and we, we look at so many companies, now it's fun um, because we get to go in there and we get to dig in. And, and every company I think has something special. It's like children. Um, all children and everybody is great at something and it's figuring out what makes you great and then focusing on it. And so with companies, I believe every company is great at something and we just got to figure out what it is. And sometimes it's not always obvious and sometimes, sometimes it is. And then we can rally around that. But it's often surprising to me how many companies we work with that haven't quite zeroed in on that. Um, and you think you've made all of this money, you make, you're an awesome real estate investor, but, but this is something we need to work on. Well, I guess it's great that they don't know, otherwise I wouldn't have a job. Uh, so that, that helps keep me in business, right? Exactly. No. And that actually leads us to the next question, which I was kind of interested in is, could you tell us a little bit about an example of, of, a, of a project you worked on where, you know, maybe you thought that, or someone thought that this was an obvious decision or, or a, a track that they should take. And in reality, it actually was something different completely. So, you know, wow. can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Because I know that's kind of one of your superpowers, as they say. 
Well, well, I'll, I'll give you the one where we it resulted us and not getting paid because of the advice we gave. Is you know we were working with a, a few years ago. We were brought in to sell a company, and we actually went into the company and it was a big conglomerate had lots of different businesses. And by the time we did all of our work, our recommendation was not to sell it as a whole. That if you really wanted to, um, if you wanted to maximize your proceeds, you needed to sell it in parts. And there was a different, and it was a little more complicated than in terms of one, this needed a capitalization plan. This one, you could spin off. This one had some public option, but it was a, there was a lot of different components to it. And we told them that the number they thought the company was worth, they were not worth that. And they weren't going to get that. Um, and we were pretty serious about it. And so we didn't want to sell it as the whole. We didn't think we could get it done. And so we didn't take it on. Wow. Now we could have, um, and we could have. And, and dragged along, but life is too short and, and, you know, to work on things we don't believe we can get done. And so we passed. Um, and, and I'm confident it was the right advice. Um, and, and I think we do a good job in giving the right advice to our clients. Um, sometimes they don't always want to hear it, but if they didn't want the truth, they'd come to the wrong firm. Um, and, and so I'm happy to be, to be honest about it on the basis that isn't that why you hired me? Is, is to tell you the way it is. Um, and, and most of the time, it's, it's good stuff. We, we get to, you know, we were brought in to analyze a company last year to, for an investment to be made in it. And we did our diagnostic and come up with our view of some amazing things and some things were a shortfall. And our recommendation was, look, you can invest in this, but these are the challenges if you do, right? I, I've told you, because at the end of the day, I can't weigh up, um, how someone measures risk of how they balance different priorities. So if I've given you three priorities and, and, and one thing is great and the other one is terrible and one's in the middle, how you weigh those things up is your call. And all I can do is, is tell you what I see and, and how you choose to use it sometimes is, is up to you. Oh, so. sure. Yeah, I know. I mean, all you can really do in, in any situation is present the data and then, you know, provide your interpretation of what the data should be. But at the end of the day, the decision maker is the one who has to make the decision. And so this is something that I deal with. And I'm sure, you know, Jeff deals with in his business. Jeff is in the commercial construction space and he deals a lot with clients. It's a tough place right now. It is. It is. But he's he's doing he does phenomenal work and he does a lot in the you know retail and industrial side of things as well. So but but again, it's one of those things where, you know, you can sit down with a client. And you're pretty much telling them maybe their baby's ugly, quote unquote, because but 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 essentially you're, you're just telling them the truth and trying to get them to a point where they realize that this is what the market is, because the market is can be vicious. I mean, the market is going to tell you what it's going to tell you and whether or not you want to hear that message is a different story. But yeah. hopefully most of the time people, you know, listen to, the, to your expert advice and then from there they can make the determination. And again, ultimately, it's their decision. So market will speak. But I, as I, yeah. I often say, look, I can look, I can put tell you the numbers higher, but I'm not buying you. <laughs> it's not me. I'm not buying yeah. you. The person you need to write a check is off this list. It's not me. Um, and, and so they're the ones you need to convince. But, you know, this is this is how I think um, they're going to look at it. And, and that's what we do take pride in is to be able to say this is how we think an institution will look at it. Um, and, and this is how they're going to break it down. But by the same token, more often than not, our advice usually is, is you've looked at it this way, give us your information and I can tell you how to slice and dice and how to position yourself so that you understand your strengths 
better. Um, and, and that's what it really is. Because I think people should always focus on your strengths, right? Life's too short to focus on your weaknesses. I mean, the whole world's willing to beat you up all the time. You don't need to help them. So just focus on the stuff you're good at. And, and that's part of our message is, is everyone is great at something. Let us, we can help you find your strength. And, and that's what we end up doing on definitely on, on the consulting side. But that plays into corporate M&A when you're looking to sell or when you're looking to buy someone. It comes in when you're capital raising and how you're going to position yourself. And, you know, we have a, a growing fairness opinion practice for public companies. And one of my business partner runs that effort. And, and even there, it's like when you're evaluating, you're looking and providing an opinion to someone, um, you're not agnostic to who the company is um, and what they do and how they position themselves and what they've been able to achieve. All of those things, all of those things play into it. And, and you really get a big deep dive into even corporate structures and, and how what their organizational structure like and who is doing what. Um, and you get a really good look in to how uh, people do staffing. And I think it reveals a lot uh, about each of the individual companies. And you're really only as strong as your weakest person. It's like a basketball team, right? You're only as strong as your weakest person. And so, you know, continuing to grow and being mindful and thoughtful around those things. Um, the world is anyone's oyster. If, if you're willing to take, you know, be adaptable and, and, and step back and say, hey, you know what, maybe there's some truth is maybe we need to think about making some adjustments there. And every entrepreneur I've worked with, and there are a lot in real estate, have under, understand that. And if they've gone on to be successful is because they've said, you know what, maybe there's some grain of truth to that. Let me think about it. And, and have adjusted and accommodated. And then they've gone on to grow their company. Yeah. I wanted to add to the conversation earlier about the company that you know you guys stepped away from i think the word is integrity and honesty and it doesn't I think that's pay. Why, yeah, well, <laughs> well it, it does pay in the long run and so that's what i believe that that's why you guys are still here you know you ladies are still here and around because people know okay i'm going to hire these ladies and they're going to tell me the absolute truth and be very honest with us and have the integrity to, to tell us and not beat around the bush and uh, just come out and say, hey, you know, you might think it's 50 million and we're telling you it's only 35 million. And that's what the market can bear. Well, sometimes so, we actually tell them it's more. But that's, yeah, that's the really are. fun part. That's yeah. the fun part, Jeff. Yeah. When we get to say, no, we actually think you're worth more than that. And I get that. Really? Yeah. yeah. You really are. It's you're undervert yourself. You're you're undercut yourself. You're you're yeah. worth so much more than that. At least from my perspective. But then again, you know, I'm not buying you. So yeah. <laughs> the market, the market will speak, and the market yeah. always has something to say. And so the market will speak all of these things. But you know, in just, I know you're right, Jeff, because I think for us, um, some of our clients we've had for ten years, as long as we've been in business. Um, so 2010, so okay, more than 10 years. We've had them a really long time. And, and I call them life cycle because we're with them and made it be in a strategic assignment. We've raised capital, raised more capital. We've gone on and sold them. They've gone to the new party and then we're off again, right? It's the, the evolution that, you know, it's life cycle. You, you build a company, you grow it, you sell it, you start again. And, and so some of our clients, we've had them for a really long time. And, and we've done so many amazing, cool things with them over that period and then they make referrals because I, I i do believe that if we give good advice and we do the right thing by our clients that it will pay us back and and sometimes i close my eyes and i think 
I don't know, should I say that? But it, it's, and, and I hope I've, I've done the right thing. And, and I think it has served us. And sometimes it's difficult. Um, it's def they're difficult decisions and they're difficult to have conversations. But I do think it pays us back. And I, and I do think that's the reason why so much of our business, you know, has come from, you know, 90% of it, maybe, maybe 90% has come from referral or from, you know, people we've worked with in the past where it's come inbound. And we're just so appreciative because we've had an enormous amount of support, no question, to, to get to where we are by people that are in this industry and have stood by us. So big thank you. Absolutely. So I kind of want to dive more into the real estate state space and see like, uh, what are some of the growing trends that you've been seeing uh, within your company and other companies that are coming to you? Uh, can you enlighten us with some of those? Well, let's see. Um, I think there's a lot going on in every industry. Yeah. Let's pick a couple. So yeah. I think in industrial, uh, yeah. I love industrial um, right now. And, and not just because of what's going on with logistics um, and, and supply chain, but because the, you know, what e-commerce has done and the millennial generation and the thirst for convenience over so many other things has, is rattling through its impact on every sector. It's everywhere. And so on what I see on the industrial side, which um, I, I, I just love the space right now, is there you're seeing changes in warehouse design, size, height, your positioning to regional, how those are fitting in with last mile and fulfillment. All of those things are evolving in response to changes in e-commerce which is driven by, you know, it's up, what is it, 10 going to 20% now. It's in the next two, three years. But that evolution, it means that 65% of online shoppers think next day is how it should be for a delivery. Can you imagine? I mean, five years ago, who would have thought that next day delivery was the status quo? But think about what's involved to deliver that next day. And it happens, by the way, but think what's required. The last mile logistic of fulfillment centers that's really evolving. And so you're seeing things like, you know, converting, you know, old shopping centers that are a dark to fulfillment centers, or you're seeing big box retailers carving out backs of their stores, shrinking the retail, creating fulfillment centers. And, and you know, whether it's parking garages, it's old gyms, old movie theaters, all these things of repurposing real estate in response to the change of what we're seeing on the logistics side. And I think that is really cool because what also is in that is technology. And, and this is something we are very big on. I think uh, it's a generational thing, but I think technology, which is prevalent in every industry, except this one, except this one, um, that still does paper leases. Um, and, and so I think this industry technology is rattling through the whole thing and combining with what's happening on uh, the, the shift to a preference for convenience, which is generational, those combinations, in order to do all that logistic stuff, you need technology. You've got to have amazing systems, right? And if you're going to have, even on, and this rattles into cold storage too, but if you're going to have a facility, a last, a last mile fulfillment center, and, and, and you've got in it, how do you know whose blueberries belongs to who? Right? You've got 10 distributors. How do you know? Right? So this blueberries goes to this place. And, and, and you, because the logistics and the tech systems have to be so advanced. And think how much progress that is over even a five-year period. It's actually mind-blowing what goes into to dealing with that. And same with cold storage, which we have a massive shortage in this country 
has completely evolved. Why? Because of what's going on with the, bi the biopharmaceuticals, but also because the e-commerce, again, everyone expects, expects their fresh lettuce today. Um, everyone wants it today. And, and so responding to that, how do you make that happen? Right? It's not yeah. magic. So I find that when you rattle through those things, that you're seeing the entire industry on, on that piece respond. And, and then you can see it, there's every sector of real estate has the same thing. So you can even go into retail where, you know, fair enough, we're changing dark spaces. The whole configuration of what you need for your box stores, shopping, now shopping, because you have e-grocers, what is it, something like 75% of e-grocer shoppers do pickup. So, all right, well, how are you going to fulfill all that, right? So exactly. it, it, it's that change which requires a logistic system, a technology system, and it changes the way that shopping centres, neighbourhood centres, grocery stores function, right? And it's all driven because the shift in consumer, driven partly by COVID too, where the industry has to respond to those changes. So, I, and you can go on and on and on through every sector where I think there's changes that, that are happening like that, um, as the the industry continues continues to evolve, it's very awesome. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we yeah. we we had this gentleman, Jeremy Neuer, who's uh, a top broker at uh, CBRE in New Jersey, and he's he's a big advocate for technology and commercial real estate. And I actually went to the commercial real estate technology conference back yeah. in last year. Uh, you know, and it, and there's amazing technology coming down the pike. And and like you said, the, the technology and the adoption adoption in the commercial real estate industry has been slow. To, it's been it's been slow to adapt to say the least and he believes that one of the biggest change agents for adoption of technology is the tenants now demanding a more inclusive tech stack so yeah. you know these millennials are coming into the workforce they're you know over 40 or 50 percent of the workforce right now are, are of, of the millennial generation a lot more adaptive when it comes to technology and now it's like mr landlord i'm not going to come to your office building if you don't have good Wi-Fi, if you don't have access control, if you have all these different technologies that are integrated within your system, which is in this case, an office building, it's going to be something that, you know, they're just not going to get the, the, the tenant base that they need. And so landlords are going to have to adapt in the office space. And obviously, as you mentioned, in the industrial side of things, I mean, that's something that amazing technology is coming down the pike. And one of, yeah. the, one, one of the, the software systems that I saw at the technology conference, which I thought was amazing, really, really cool is utilizing drone technology where they they, yes. they, they lift up these drones into yeah. the, the sky and they, they can map out these parcels. Yes. And imagine you're a, a developer for Marriott or some of these larger entities. They each have templates based on, you know, parcel size and whatever else, the topography and everything else. Well, the, these drones go up there, map out the parcel, look at the topography and everything else. And then you can just flip through these templates yeah. real quick to assess the feasibility of the site, as opposed to having to put it under contract. Now, soliciting the services of all the different professionals and it can cost you months of time and potentially tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to do the, the feasibility site work essentially. Yeah. Whereas well, now yeah. you can. Yeah. Well, look at, you know, in shopping centers with retail because they use the GPS technology. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had a few clients in the retail space to the point where I, I think I try to turn my phone off because they, you know, when you, you shop at Trader Joe's, they know more about your shopping habits than you do. They know where you've come from, how long it took you to get there, how long you're in the store, whether you went to the store next door, whether you left and went to the, you know, the Waffle House down the street. They know so much information. But just think about what this does, whether it's drone technology or whether it's being able to use your phone 
to understand your shopping habits. What that means is, is that if you follow through as an investor, it changes the risk reward equation of investing. Right. So normally you price your reward based on the risk you're taking. Right. But if I change your risk profile, because now you know more than you did before, it changes the reward you need in return. Right. And that's what the most amazing thing is if you follow it through what it all translates to. So if I told you, well, gee, should we put out on that pad a movie theater, a gym? You know, should we put a McDonald's? If I told you, well, did you know that how much percent of your base um, doesn't go to that Trader Joe's, you think? They actually go, you know, to the, the, the Dunkin' Donuts down the street after they leave here. It changes your mindset. But if you knew that, then you will have a better sense of what should go there. And the drone technology is the same because not only does it allow you to pick out your template, but it gives you insight to the property that you can't get elsewhere because it gives us such a broader overlay and and the machinations of what you can go through with drone technology is incredible it's, it's absolutely incredible but you know i even look at it with, with the multifamily is going through an extraordinary amount of change right now whether the sector appreciates it or not is you know you in this day and age now you can um search look lease move into an apartment without speaking to a single person and you can do it in 24 to 48 hours, right? Because the technology system between Metaport and, and being able to review things online and the way you do Facebook advertising and, and who your, your target market is, is that players can have a lot more clarity into understanding who their potential tenant is and they can market to that tenant base, right? And so once you have that information, now with virtual tours, where we know people, um, companies where, you know, 80% more entire leasing through this last cycle through COVID and they never saw the apartment. They never saw it. And, and that is, is real because technology has created an ability to do that. And, and, and it's, so it's, it's substituted and given much greater clarity um, than anything else. And, and I think what we'll find is similar to what you're saying about the, the millennial generation is that once they're in apartments now, they want their app. They want everything on their app. They don't want to talk to anybody. They want their, they want the maintenance. They want, if they've got to get deliveries, they've got their Alexa. They want it all through a system. Um, and, and AI now can deal with all of that. It can pretty much do everything. And except to have the maintenance guy show up to fix the leaky pipe, AI can pretty much do most else. And that's what's really incredible. And, you know, some would say, well, that changes your consumer experience. Um, maybe, but I think it depends on which consumer you're targeting, right? I, I think that depends on, on where you are in that equation. But it's, it's very interesting if you think where that can go on the, the where that the piece, if you let your mind explore the possibilities of where technology can change in, the, in each one of these buckets. Almost certainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next several years in, in the different industries that you're mentioning. And, you know, I'm excited for the change. I'm like I said, I can't I come from a tech background. I'm an engineer by trade, so I can kind of geek out on some of that stuff as well. So oh, I'm sure. Well, Jeff, I mean, his, your industry is not spade. How about 3D printing our houses now? Yeah. 3D printing. You know, I how many bodies do I need now? I can print it all out with my computer and it can put out my stick built. We're that technology, the building houses now and apartment yeah. buildings with, with 3D tech with 3D, you know, printing. So and all that can be scoped out through a 3D system and through AI. It's crazy. So if yeah. we just think through where that takes you, 
right? And then once that technology is good and really good, um, where that can take the industry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, they actually uh, are doing more modular. That's still coming up and rising up in the construction industry where like Raphael was selling, you flip through basically online and pick out what you want and they're building it in a factory and then shipping it out and putting it together. But it's not just walls. It's all your mechanicals and everything is already set up. And these things are like, yeah, connect together and you go. It's like, yeah. So yeah, one day uh, Jeff, you're going to show up at construction site and there's going to be you standing right there and you're going to go, what are you doing here? Yeah, because <laughs> I figured out how to picture. It's like exactly. it's like it's like Legos, just like yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know, mod- I remember the very early modular housing around yeah. you know when we were at CB, and people laughed at the concept. So it was like modular housing, but you know, I remember, and we were very contrary on this when people when we tried to tell investors that the way the multifamily market was moving is they were not going to people were not focused on the dollar per square foot. For their rental apartments. People don't go in and say it's 50, 60, 20 dollars a square foot. People look at an apartment and they say, oh, it's worth my money or it's not. And they make that determination on a whole host of factors, right? But sometimes that meant when they shrunk the units down and the invention of all the amenities, and which is really, you know, you're taking your square foot and, and distributing it elsewhere. But it pushed the dollar per square foot up for your apartments. I remember when we first were trying to market that as a concept for one of our clients, institutional investors said there's no way people are going to pay that dollar per square foot. You want to know something? It's the standard now. (laughs) We all get that people will trade apartment size for for amenities. They will. And they will trade it for amenities. And and there's a mix there of what that trade-off is. But, but the concept that people um, will just have an apartment with nothing else, right? I, I don't think that is the norm anymore. I, I think the world has moved past that. And it's just a question of, of what that balance is and what that trade-off is, depending on who your target is. 100%. Yeah. We, yeah. I had a, I had a, a gentleman that's, uh, I know a gentleman in, in Nashville, actually, who's a developer, and they're doing a micro unit development where it's, you know, the four, three, 400 square foot, tiny yeah. apartments, but the amenities are awesome. And then there's retail on the bottom, there's coffee shops, there's all these different yeah. cool things pertaining to what, what, what the development has to offer. And you, you attract young professionals and, and in a city like Nashville, it's growing rapidly yeah. with a lot of young professional talent. I mean, those are perfect places for them to go because even if, you know, let's say it's a 400 square, square foot unit and they're paying a thousand bucks a month to live there per yeah. square foot. You're talking 25 bucks, you know, you know, so that's pretty significant when it comes to the, the developer standpoint, because it's like, okay, I can maximize the price per square foot of these units on a month to month basis, therefore increasing my profitability. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there is a client base for that. There, there really is. But the whole concept of not having kitchens um, is, is not uncommon in New York City. So it, the, the concept was there, but why there was such a shift to not appreciating that it wasn't just a New York thing. And it didn't have to be taking away a kitchen because what the concept is really getting at is that people have shifted in their mindset. They don't want to spend all their time in their apartment. Right. And so, okay, what are they going to do? And they will trade it depending on what that package looks like. But it's, it's an, evo- an evolution of who your renter is um, and, and understanding that. But, you know, it, it just there are different segments, obviously, for different areas of the, of the market. But that is one segment that it has evolved 
and, and has changed. And if you don't want to capitalize on it, then you either go out of business, you don't make as much money as, as someone else that has figured that out. But it just, to me, we, we chuckle a lot internally because we remember when we first started talking about it. And I remember many, many conversations with very well-known institutional investors who told me I was out of my mind if I thought people were not going to focus on dollar per square foot. <laughs> and I was like, I'm right, I know I'm right. And here we are, here we are, we all know it. We all know that people absolutely will. So, but it's it's a full circle getting ahead of some of these things. And I find sometimes we're a little too early on stuff. And so it takes us longer to get through it, but we have a conviction and it feels right and there should be. And for some of these things that we're seeing, um, whether it's logistics and there's some interesting things still going on in multifamily and still in retail and all of these industries, it's sometimes you have to be a little creative and you have to be a little patient. Um, it's, you know, do you want to be first or a fast follower, right? So which yeah. one of those? And sometimes we, you know, end up taking on and have to work a little too hard uh, in order to get something done, which seems so obvious to me. It seems so obvious, but sometimes it takes a little time. Definitely. Absolutely. For sure. Those are some great insights. So, uh, you know, with, with the gift of, of 2020 hindsight, um, if you had to go back in time to the beginning um, and kind of talk to yourself, uh, you know, let's say at, at, at the critical juncture in your life in, in 2009, having gone through everything that you've gone through up until this point, what are some of the, I guess, the main piece of advice that you'd share, share with yourself so that, you know, you could traverse the next 13 or 14 years of your life, the best of your ability? Yeah, it's, um, I actually gave my daughter the advice I'm about to tell, say right now, don't sweat the small stuff. It just stuff. Don't sweat it. Life is too short. You don't have time to sweat the small stuff. It's like focus on things that matter. Um, and it's fine to have expectations and it's fine to set ones that are really, really high, but you can't beat yourself up if you don't reach them. Right. So you just have to focus on, on setting your target, aiming for your target, but you can't, you, you're not going to knock it out of the ballpark every time. And don't be too hard on yourself if, if you don't get there, but don't go looking in the reveal mirror and think to yourself, well, if I could have, should have done, a, I would have been different. It's done. Time, time has passed. Time has moved on. And, and I think a classic line that my partner's our colleagues, my children, my husband, it's all the same. It's like, you know what, haven't we already talked about this? I thought we already, we already made this decision. We're done, right? Let's move on. We have too many things going on and we don't have time to belabor decisions that are already made. It's made, move on. And, and I think if you, if you take that um, and if people focus on the big picture, making decisions, forget the small stuff, right? I know you think it's tragic, um, the little thing was tragic. It's really not. It's a pimple on an elephant's butt. It doesn't matter. And, and just focus on the big picture stuff um, and, and just focus on where you want to go with those. And don't sweat it. And don't look back. I'm not a look back kind of person. It's, it's done. You moved on. So that's what I would tell my former self. I, I'm almost sure I wouldn't take that advice. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And I think, and that's yeah. some phenomenal advice. And, 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 and like you said, sometimes it's hard to see through the weeds when you're going through it. Right. Because you're, you're, you think it's the, you think it's a big deal when it's happening, but when you have the gift of 2020 hindsight, you can say, well, actually it really wasn't that, really? that impactful. It really but, wasn't, but you know, cause I, and I say that because even now, how many people don't lay awake or wake up in the middle of the night because of something that's bothering them? We all do it, right? So I can give that advice and say, don't sweat it. And it's true, but by the same token, 
you all and I would not be where we where we are if we didn't stress on wanting to be the best we can be, right? And and to and to deliver and to and to focus on achievement and and achieving those things. If, if we didn't sweat the small stuff, but I I, I just wish we stressed just a little less. <laughs> Just, yeah, just, just a little time yeah. yeah, and I, I think that, you know, just being cognizant about when you are, in fact, stressing more than you should be, I think is 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 super valuable. And I do that a lot, too. That's sometimes right, I yes. catch sometimes I just catch myself. I'm like, hey, like, let's let's calm down here. You know, I'm, I'm maybe over overreacting to this sort of thing. But you're right. I mean, especially coming from a high performance environment where, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself and you want to succeed the best you can. I mean, you're right. You're, you're going to put a lot of pressure on yourself, but sometimes it's good to step back. And, you know, that's why, you know, I exercise, I, I try to meditate in the morning a little bit just to clear my head for the day. So that helps a lot too, but you're right. I mean, I think that just taking a step back every once in a while and appreciating what, how life is, because you're right. It's very short. I think it's important for us to just kind yeah. of step back every once in a while and just appreciate what we have. You only have this one moment of time now, and then it's gone. You don't get to get it back. So you know, you got to try and make the most of it. And I tell myself that all, all the time. Hey, don't sweat the small stuff. But it's um, it's it's focusing on those things. And you, when you achieve something great, and and I, we have this in this our office all the time. When you achieve something great, celebrate it. There's nothing wrong with celebrate because so many things go wrong all the time, right? And plenty of people will beat you up for those things, right? So celebrate your wins when they come. And if you've gone and moved your expectations so you don't want to celebrate anymore because you're focused on the next thing, stop and smell the roses, right? Just for a second, it'll add 10 years to your life, right? It'll add 10 years to your life. Absolutely. Yeah, because you deserve to be happy and you worked hard for it. So just for a nanosecond, sit, chill, enjoy it and then you can go back to focusing on the next achievable target or the next goal or the next objective that you have but if, if you don't do those things you know you will all end up living a little little loss i mean they say one in every four people will make it to 90 but none of us will if we don't take some of our own advice <laughs> exactly great advice great advice so uh what are the questions we like to uh ask our guests because Raphael are both avid readers is what is one of the most impactful books that you've read? And it doesn't have to pertain to your industry. It can be any book. So, yeah, um, I, well, there's lots of great books. I should ask you yeah. guys that question. Uh, so I'll go first. Um, I, I listen to an audio book. I'm a huge audio book person because no minute can be wasted, right? You have to utilize every minute of every day. Um, I listen to um, Confucius Never. Confucius never said. It's a book written by Helen Raleigh. She grew up in communist China, fourth generation, and it was about her struggle to come to the United States with $100 in her pocket. And she's gone on to become a very successful entrepreneur uh, out, in, out in the West Coast. And her story is extraordinary. And what really struck me is that, and my background is, is uh, nowhere near as the struggle she had. But, you know, I grew up in a dairy farming community and, and then never thought I would ever go to, to college and never gone on to do any of the things I've done. And I relate to her story, although her story goes so much further um, than I can ever comprehend. But to appreciate the struggles and to appreciate, to want something more and to go forth and just with such an attitude of, I, I will get this done and I can achieve anything. And I will, no matter what's in front of me, I know what I wanna do and I'm gonna get there. And I just find that the struggles and her story is remarkable. Um, and it's it's uplifting. 
in the sense like you wow this is despite everything she's conquered she has managed to succeed and and I just think it's an extraordinary story and I read it a few years ago and I think about it all the time um what an amazing struggle she had to get to where she is and I just for for anyone um, who's looking for a book that you will remember years later it's one of those books that's great. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I love reading biographies as well. So I'll probably add that to my list. I had, you know, made in America, yeah. you know, shoe dog. If you haven't read that, that's yeah. an all book, the, the ride of a lifetime, Bob yeah. Iger. Absolute. Yeah. yeah well, I, read, um, I read a billion dollar loser, the Adam Newman story. A few okay. weeks ago. I actually read, I didn't listen. Yeah. To it, mm-hmm. it was amazing too. It's, it's an industry book, but I mean, again, that's a story where you're like how the mighty fail, but if you read it, from a real estate perspective, you know, you understand, you, you get you get to look at it and say, well, obviously that wasn't going to work. Um, and, and you can really appreciate some of the story in there um, that because it's our space and it's so close to home. But it too is an, it's an amazing story. Um, an amazing, he's an amazing entrepreneur um, and achieved so much. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's how the mighty fail. But it was an extraordinary story that you got it. You have to be adaptable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lesson. Oh, sure. You have got to be adaptable. Oh, sure. And, 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 and again, I haven't read that book, so I'll definitely have that too. But you know, there's, there's this book I read a while ago that was called Ego is the Enemy. And it talks oh, about, I like the, that one. It, it's phenomenal. It was a great book, but it talks about different pe- people in history that had let their ego get in front of decision-making. And so, yeah. you know, they, one of the stories they talked about was George St. Pierre, who was a UFC fighter. He was, you know, a heavy favorite to fight Matt Sarah, which who was a, a, a complete underdog. I mean, it was like 20 to one odds and he ended up losing the fight. And even though he was undefeated, he beat all the people that were in front of him. But that was because his ego got way too big and he didn't train properly for the fight. And he ultimately lost the yeah. fight at the end. And so it talks a lot about, you know, getting ahead of your ego and realizing that even though you have had a lot of success, you have to humble yourself on a consistent basis because otherwise you're not going to be willing to adapt because you're always going to think that you know, your success, that. your success is a result of you, who you are right. innately, innately versus, you know, your ability to adapt to the, the experiences you've had in the past. And so, right. you know, it's, it was a very good book. And then also quick tip on the audible thing, you know, my fiance, you know, I, I listen to audible all the time when I'm washing dishes Love and it. stuff and everything. Right. Yeah. And, and she, and, and so I, I put it one and a half speed I so, that I can, so I can literally listen to it faster. <laughs> So, but you have to focus. You have yeah. to focus because you miss something. You're like, wait a minute, what did they yeah. do? What was that again? Mm-hmm. I, I I listen to all the ones. So I like a you know typical you know fiction box. I will read those. But mm-hmm. when it's it's something that you know I just read to rule the waves, which is about the how whoever rules the oceans uh, has will ultimately has global power. It's a really cool book that I saw on TV. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get that book, which is how I get a lot of my audio books. I'll be sitting there and I'll see something on TV and I'll mention this book. Who wrote this book? And I'm like, I have to have that book. And I'll put it, I'll sit there and I'll buy it right there and then. And, and I'll go and I'll listen to them. But it was a really, it was a really cool book as well, where I just I'd never thought about it. But when you read a book like that, listen to a book like that, you look at world dynamics and you look at things very differently. And, and I, I feel as I've gotten older, I have a massive thirst for information. I love information and I can never have a mu- enough of it. And, and I just, it's, it just makes you 
look at things and evaluate things very differently once you have it. And so I, I do it all the time. I'm reading a book on recycling, listening to a book on recycling right now. It's like these crazy topics. I never would have found them, but from sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, that book looks really awesome. I got to get that. Uh, it's, you know, some people do the, um, what is it, the HGTV and they do online shopping. Here I sit here and I buy audio books. Um, but it's, um, it's great. And I'm going to read the book you recommended. And I, I would have, I would have seen it if it had been on TV before, uh, but if it wasn't, I missed it. Well, and, 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 and we get a lot of our audiobook recommendations from guests like you. So that's great. You know, we get to interview yeah. people who are extremely successful and then we say, Hey, what books are you reading? And then we get to read those books as well. So we've had over 50 episodes at this point and we've gotten recommendations for every single episode. So it's been, you're going to have to send me stuff, but of course what's missing here, Jeff hasn't given us one recommend, given me one recommendation. I was, I was going to, I was going to surprise you. It's actually uh, the book that I'm going through and working through is systemology. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Uh, It's just uh, how to build systems and processes within your business. Um, So I'm doing that. Yeah. I'm doing that for my commercial business, just totally rehauling everything. And so uh, David uh, Jennings is the author and he's he's Australian. He's Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, then I have to read it then, don't I? Yeah. Listen to it. <laughs> yeah. listen, I'll have to listen to it. There you go. <laughs> that sounds like another good recommendation. It's, it's, yeah. a, I, I would never have picked up something like that. But if you've read it and you think it's good, then I'm, I'm all for it. It sounds like I would probably learn something new. And so once again, I'm all in. Yeah. I mean, just like you said earlier, it's uh, with the systems and processes. As you grow, they get more complicated. And so I'm growing. Uh, in my commercial construction business. And so I'm like, you know what, I have to totally rehaul all my systems uh, and very fine tune them. So when I hire more and more people in it, it, you know, it comes off without a hitch. So yeah, that's why I picked it up. Yeah, that's that's right. And that's what I was saying is your business as you grow, your business gets more complicated. And I just even had this conversation today. I'm like, wait a second. I don't think that that works anymore. We got to do something else because, you know, our business has changed. And so that's my other. So like, wait a second. And you constantly have to go back and say, well, that worked last year, but it doesn't work now. And it's like, but Deb, it worked last year. I said, well, that was last year. It doesn't work anymore because of X, Y, and Z. But again, it's the evolution and and constantly being open-minded. To, to where you're going and not looking back because you know what that that happened you got to keep moving forward and you know how how you're going to change and adjust to that as you go is the trick it's oh, definitely definitely well deborah we we greatly appreciate your time i thought this was a phenomenal conversation i know our audience is going to get a ton of value from our discussion today one of the things we like to ask at the end of our uh, podcast episode is uh, it's for our guests to contribute something to what we call the commercial real estate treasure chest. It's a repository of resources that we make available to our audience. And, you know, our guests have contributed a variety of different things, you know, PDFs, Excel sheets. We've had people who have written books or eBooks and they've contributed to those to the treasure chest as well. Just wanted to give you an opportunity to say, what are you willing to contribute today? I will think of something. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will it's, think it's, of something. A mystery item. Mystery item. That's what. It a is. mystery item. You know, I, I will. Uh, I, I will think of something. If there's so much good stuff, I don't know where to start. Maybe it's not good stuff at all, and that's why it'll take me so long. But I will think of something because I want it to be value. I want it to be value add. I mean, it was. This has been so much fun um, to do, and I want to make sure I add some value right back to you. So, I'll absolutely. Come back. 
Oh, for sure. So, so if you guys are listening to this, it's going to be a mystery item. It's going to be a great yeah. mystery item. So uh, you definitely want to take advantage of it once you hear it. Once you, you get definitely it. want to go look in the treasure chest for this mystery item. Exactly. Yeah. You have to, Perfect. the listeners, you have to go check out the, the, the treasure chest because you just don't know what an amazing little gold nugget is going to be there. Exactly. Well, Deborah, you've been a delight, delightfully entrepreneurial, I must Thank add. Uh, and I know more and more people are going to want to reach out to you. So how would you like them to contact you? Uh, my contact info is on our website and my email address is dsmith at senecapgroup.com. We are also on LinkedIn um, and I'm on LinkedIn. You can Google me, uh, Deborah Smith Senecap, and I'll pop right up. Um, and that's probably the easiest way. My number is on our website as well, which is www.senecapgroup.com. Awesome. Yeah. So if you guys are listening to this in uh, a podcast format, we're going to include all that in the description in the show notes. So if you guys are listening to this in podcast format, feel free to go in the description and check that out. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, it will also be in the description as well. So you guys can access that as well. So again, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it. If you could like and subscribe to the channel, it really helps with the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message. If you guys are watching this or listen to this in a podcast format, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review. Uh, we've seen a significant uptick in our downloads over hundred percent in the last couple months as a result of you guys engaging with the podcast and leaving a review. So we would greatly appreciate you guys doing so. Thank you again so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time.